LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love. I'm here with Pastor J.D. Greer. And actually, before we get into this uh, question for today, I just want to remind everybody, Pastor J.D. just recently wrote a book, What Are You Going to Do With Your Life? Long book title, short book, which is, short book, I, I would right. say, the better combo, you know? That's so, right. But an awesome resource for anybody that's just trying to think through what is the next phase of life. If you're Why don't you ask me to give like a 20-second little like synopsis of it? I was going to see if I could do it on my own, but no, 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 you're right. I got the <laughs> author here, right? So yeah, give, give me the 10-second pitch most people most people are going to get to the end of their lives and realize that they wasted their lives because they did not live for things that truly matter so it basically is a a consideration of the teachings of jesus and what the bible teaches you about how to live a life that at the end of it you'll say i'm glad i chose to live that way and i invested it and it was totally worth it Um, it's written not for people at one particular age Uh, we have a lot of college students and young professionals here so certainly it's good for them but it really anybody at any point that they're trying to think what am I doing with my life? And in a hundred years, am I am I going to be glad that I lived and, and used it this way? There you go. So if you've ever asked that question or if someone in your life is asking you, what are you going to do with your life? JD <laughs> wrote a book about it. And I think right now, if you go to lifeway.com, you can get it for- I think it's $5. $5, which is an unbelievable deal. So take advantage of that. But JD, let's go ahead and hop into the question today. This is, uh, I think, a really interesting one and, and uh, one that I think a lot of Christians probably- either haven't thought about or or maybe disagree on, but what do you think about the death penalty? <laughs> and Matt, let me make clear that I, I don't really see this as a first order issue. And there are people here in our church that would not even approach this the same way. People on our staff, very... That, that may see things differently. Um, I'm pretty confident in the first of the three that, that I'll give you. The, the other two are going to be things that Christians need to be able to study out with an open, an open mind and, and, and follow their conscience. But I, I would say that when people ask this question and they object to the death penalty, let's start there. It's usually for one of three reasons, one of which is easier to to answer than than the other two. Those three reasons are sometimes they have a, a moral reason because they just feel like it's wrong to kill. Yeah. And therefore, because the Bible says thou shalt not kill, um, what business does anybody, any human being willfully and intentionally taking the life of somebody else? That's kind of the moral argument. Um, the second argument is really around the, the lines of deterrent, that it's just not effective. It doesn't it's, work. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. work in, in deterring you know crime. And then the third one is that in particularly here in the United States, because of our past history, um, our system is so broken that that we, we we give an unfair administration of the death penalty, where we ought to we ought to have a moratorium on it for a while until we can get our stuff straight. Because we're not talking about you know the, the, the poor distribution of resources. We're talking about somebody's life, and you really need to err on the side of making sure you've got the process right. And if you read a book like Just Mercy, um, then you you know you're just broken hearted at at some of the apparent inequities in the process and you say, man, maybe we ought to get some time to fix this, right? And so I think you got to figure out which one of those three you're trying to ask. The one I said was easier to answer is the moral one um, because, you know, um, uh, while it is true that no human being has the right to take the life of another human being of his or her own initiative, um, what's not true is that God does not sanction certain things and even set up certain things where he does give that right to certain people. Um, you know, the Ten Commandment where it says, thou shalt not murder. 
Um, you know, theologians will tell you that that word means murder, uh, literally to slay. Um, it's the word ratzak, um, and it's talking about premeditated intentional murder, which God forbids, or, um, or even negligence can be included in that. But what it's not talking about and wasn't talking about when God gave the Ten Commandments is that there's never a situation where God um, entrusts to um, whether it's an army in the name of righteousness or whether it's a government official in, in, in the name of, uh, of retributive justice is, is doing that. Um, in the Old Testament, we see several things where, where there is uh, that penalty given. It, it really, the first time it's clearly expressed is Genesis 9, where God says, one of the few things he says in setting up the new order after Noah and his sons get off the ark, he, you know, Genesis 9 says, if any man sheds blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. And basically he's saying human life is so precious that the punishment has to fit the crime. And the only thing that you can do in, in punishment for somebody taking another life, there's nothing more precious in life. So you have to, you have to take that and to do anything less is to cheapen the life that was originally taken. And I think that's an important concept in biblical justice is that, is that the punishment is making a statement about the severity of the crime. And so that's, you know, that, that, that's the first time you see it in the New Testament. Sometimes people feel like when you get the New Testament. Well, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. Like, if you just do the Old Testament, people can be like, well, you know, a lot yeah. of the things seem to change. If you rebel against your mom, if you were a polyester. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, good, good, good question. Um, you know, so Paul in Romans 13 He's actually going to kind of restate in his own words that same Old Testament concept. Uh, Romans 13, 4, if you do wrong, you should be afraid, for he, he's talking about the one in, the, in governing authority, does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. A little lesser known Romans verse there. I don't think we, that hasn't been on many of my Bible memory lists. Or, or your Facebook post yeah, of yeah, yeah. memory verses. Um, but, you know, I mean, you think about that. Like, So does not bear the sword in vain. What does the sword mean? Right? It's not talking about like a paddle that you spank somebody with. I mean, it's talking about an instrument of execution. And he's not even talking necessarily about godly leaders here. I mean, the, the, the Romans that he's talking about were notoriously, you know, pagans. He says, even in a, even in a government that is led by people who are not Christians and in many cases corrupt, it does not undermine the inherent integrity of the institution itself, or it does not abolish, it doesn't abolish the very concept of government. You know, this Romans 13 obviously comes at the end of Romans 12. And in Romans 12, Paul has laid out why no individual person should ever take vengeance upon themselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so it means if, if you were to do something to me, I, I, can't, I can't pay you back. But then he turns right around Romans 13 and says, actually, God does have an avenger. And in this case, it's, it's the institution of government. So a, whereas if, you know, as a Christian, if I were a judge, if somebody wronged me personally, I can't take it upon myself to do any kind of vigilante justice. As someone who is serving in the role, the secular role of judge, I'm a divinely appointed avenger of justice, which means I have to make sure that it is being given out impartially and fairly to those who, who, who have been wronged. So you know, there you've, you've clearly got Paul indicating that there are places where somebody can oversee the taking of a human life without it being considered murder because they're doing it. God has the, um, the right of, of life and death, and he is enabling that in, into a government. Um, so that's civil government. First Peter 2, 13 and 14 would be another good example. Same idea, uh, you know, where Peter talks about governors sent by God to punish those who do evil and praise those who do, who do good, sent by God. Now, again, I I don't want to make it sound like a person in a governing position 
feels like they carry the authority of God and like, you know, that licenses anything they do. They're doing it under God, but when they administer justice, whether it's writing a speeding ticket or whether it's something, uh, you know, far more serious, they're doing it really in the name of God. Um, it really, by the way, you think about this, you got to broaden it to cap beyond capital punishment. Just think any and all punishment, yeah. right? What right does the government have to monetarily penalize you? I don't have the right to do that. If you were to do something for me, I can't, you know, wait till you are away from your house and break in and steal stuff back. I can, but the government has the right to, um, to do that in a, in a, in a, in a penal way. Um, by the way, let me just tuck something else in here. There's an idea, especially today that, that punishment should never be retributive. It's only restorative that's the biblical concept is yes we would love for punishment to be restorative but a a primary component of justice is that it is retributive and that retributive justice makes an important statement about you know the one who was wronged in the crime and it has a it has sort of a a a teaching a, a national teaching about what's right and what's wrong and, you know, what's good and bad. Uh, one last old piece of biblical um, thing I'll throw in here is, you know, Paul in Acts talking before Caesar. He's getting to Caesar. I think it was Festus or one of those guys. He says, if I've done anything worthy of death, I do not, I do not object to die. So he's even acknowledging there are things that you can do that would be worthy of death. And if you go back to Genesis 9, it's going to be in the realm of murder. So I feel like that part I can take off the table that it's inherently immoral. Okay, right? So that makes sense. So that one's maybe the one that's a little bit more like, okay, I don't know if this is the the best way to think about it. But you mentioned the, the second one is, is that some people would say it's not very effective as a deterrent. Like it, it's not doing the thing that it's intending to do. Yeah. And so honestly, Matt, I'm not really an expert here to speak. I mean, I've, I've certainly read articles on it, have my own you know, opinions on it. I wouldn't say this is an issue where I speak with, you know, with pastoral authority. Um, I will say that sometimes people object to the whole concept of deterrence that I do have a problem with. Um, they'll say, well, the, you, no punishment is, um, is ever deters for a, a crime at, at which point, you know, you say, well, I don't, I mean, Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So clearly Solomon there is advocating this idea of deterrence, that justice ought to be uh, appropriate and speedy. Otherwise, people just grow in their, you know, they're not being afraid. And so when it comes to capital crimes, taking of life, one of the questions you'd have to ask is, if, if capital punishment is not a deterrent against doing an evil act, then what? What would there be that would be a, a deterrent? I have read enough, you know, articles that I would say I'm fairly convinced of what is when you look at it, kind of really in an objective way that it it is if it's done in a fair and speedy way that it can be a deterrent. And like I said, maybe the one of the bigger questions is does you know what statement is it making about the value of life itself when when somebody can murder um, you know multiple people and then just you know, it's what value are we placing on those lives that were lost? That makes sense. Um, and then the third one, where it's that in, in our country, because of our history and past racial sins, that there's been such an unjust administering of this that we ought to call a moratorium. I, I just want to say I, I'm very sympathetic to that because that is, I mean, you know, you look back at, at some of the history and, and it really was, I mean, just a, a travesty of justice, different standards being used sometimes even outside of a court of law, uh, just mobs taking it into their own hands. And we're talking about life and death and that is deeply wrong and it's not 
fair and I understand the reaction that says, hey, this system is so messed up. We need to make sure that we've gotten it right. The reading Just Mercy was was very helpful for that because it really exposed me to, you know, kind of some of those things that were at work in the system that I didn't really know about. And I don't see how anybody um, with, with a conscience and a heart can read that and not be moved. Now, if I could give one small critique of Just Mercy was it never really went on from that to kind of show what a positive view of retributive justice looked like. It's one thing to critique and say there's a problem. There's another thing to say in a society, a, a society of justice and a society that's flourishing, they, there has to be some kind of concept of retributive justice that it's administered. Otherwise, it'll be chaos and injustice. And I thought Just Mercy was pretty weak on that front. Um, and, you know, the purpose of the book was to show the problems, maybe not to put that forward so I can be okay with that. But I do think we're going to have to have a concept of retributive justice that is fairly administered. And so that needs to be a part of our conversation if we're going to have, like Paul says in Romans 13, a society where, um, where, where good is rewarded and evil is punished. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, JD, this is, a, this is a tough one, but that was a, those are some good some good thoughts and some good ways to kind of process through this. And um, you know, this is maybe tangential to our running series of JD is not a scientist. <laughs> so in this case, it's JD is not a you know statistician. But I think those are some really helpful kind of pastoral thoughts to think about. So if you enjoy this podcast or any of the other ones that we any of the other shows we've done, we would love for you to go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Just those reviews help other people see the podcast, and and if you like it, it's chances are they're going to like it as well. We would also just say, if you have not started listening to the New Churches Q&A podcast with Daniel M., Ed Stetzer, and Todd Atkins, you should start doing that because it's a great podcast. It's part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family, and they cover all kinds of topics like reopening a multi-site church. We're going to have to listen to that one, I guess. Fundraising during a pandemic, uh, leading through change. So just look up New Churches, two words on your favorite podcasting app. Subscribe today, and we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.